What's up, cold weather bats people? This is Brandon Justice here to talk to you about our new partner here at CWB, and that is Prospect Center. Located in Clinton, Michigan, the Prospect Center is a baseball training facility that is available to all levels of baseball players, softball players, and teams. They've got an all-new field surf with three tunnels, six L screens, three field screens that are seven by seven, along with two pro-level pitcher mounds, an iron mic, a hack attack, and a hit tracks. So all the technology and amenities to provide for your individual training or team training. Owners Nick Capaferi and Mike Rice are in the building every day and can't be contacted directly for details at 586-649-7216. Again, Nick or Mike at 586-649-7216. Additionally, the Prospect Center is adding teams for the 2023 summer if you're looking to take your team to a facility that can provide training throughout the winter and then a schedule for the summer, contact Mike Rice with Prospects Baseball. Welcome into another episode of Cold Weather Bats. This is Brandon Justice, joined by Brian Sikowski per the huge. Today we're talking state champions because the Michigan high school baseball season, though it feels bittersweet to say, is officially over for 2022, uh, and we won't have another uh, MHSAA baseball game until next March, April. Uh, so until then, we're going to be speculating a bit about next season, recapping this season, uh, and previewing a summer season a little bit, I'm sure, uh, throughout. So, Brian, how are you? I'm great, man. Uh, had a hell of a time in East Lansing on Saturday. Uh, all four were really good games, kind of like we expected them to be. I, I think a couple of them might have been even better games than we expected them to be. Uh, really good baseball. It was fun to see so many damn fans there Like for each game. It was cool as hell. People traveled well. Uh, there, was a, there was not a lot of room left in McLean Stadium. Um, I know that this isn't the state of Texas that gets 9,000 people to their high school state finals or whatever, but uh, for us to, to pretty consistently come pretty close to packing a, a Big Ten stadium for that, like I thought that was really cool. It, it gives the guys, uh, the players, a, a different environment, and everybody's excited. Like that, like I couldn't speak more highly of that fact. Um, but, yeah, dude, it, it was a hell of a season. We know that. We're going to – Talk, talk about uh, the state finals, talk about the state champions. We have some awards to hand out. We're going to do some way too early prognosticating for 2023. Um, it's the wide-ranging and uh, rambling season recap episode of Cold Weather Bats, and I thank you all for joining us. Yes, emphasis on the rambling. That is what we both do best. We quite literally made a podcast because of it. Uh, so... You talk about how exciting those games were, and I think that's the consensus. I think everyone agrees that we had a, a blast watching those games on Saturday. Uh, ultra competitive teams were. We saw great pitching from for most of those teams. Um, big moments. I mean, everything was really showcased on Saturday. It was it was crazy. Um, we'll start with the elephant in the room. Uh, and that is the fact that Gross Point North pushed Orchard Lake St. Mary's to the wire and, and gave them the most difficult game they had of the postseason. And I know they had some tough games, uh, you know, against Brother Rice in the Catholic League final that could compete with it. Um, but in as far as the MHSAA postseason goes, that was their most competitive game. Um, you know, they played the Brother Rice game in the Catholic League final, which was probably the most they were pushed all season. Uh, they had some games with CC where they were pushed, so it wasn't like they hadn't been in this situation before. Um, but given the stage, given the fact that it was one win away from history, um, perfect, and, and all of that, and, and all the the, the storylines and the narratives going into the game, obviously that one felt like the most pressure for them to win. Brian, from your perspective, watching that game, not only as a former coach, but just as a baseball fan and a Michigan baseball guy, what was it like watching that game? And just break it down for us from your perspective. I mean, it was it was the exact shot. Like it, I couldn't even put into words. There was only one way that St. Mary's was going to lose, and like Gross Point North was extremely suited to that shot. Uh, I thought the same thing with Brother Rice when it came to Coach Riker not throwing 
Alfredo Velasquez against against St. Mary's until the Catholic League final. I thought that was the absolute best shot that they could take, and they took it, and they came up one run short. Same deal with Gross Point North. I thought Brennan Hill was the best shot you had. I thought that you know playing aggressive when you get base runners and, and trying to force mistakes and taking advantage of things and having a lefty who can spin the ball on the mound like that's you you did everything right. That was just it, it. It couldn't have played out better. Like we saw it, man. It was it was a a hell of a game from start to finish. St. Mary's scratches one across in the first inning, and then that's it the rest of the way. Um, Gross Point North is, I don't know, like a slightly less athletic Blake Grimmer away from having tied that game in the seventh, or you know what I mean, or like Blake Grimmer wearing the wrong glove away from tying that game in the seventh. Um, so you know, Petrie I think not that's, calling no doubles away as well. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So so I think that's, you know, like that's the type of game that it was. Brendan Hill was absolutely incredible. Um you know, that's the that's the mentality. That's the game plan. You have to throw breaking balls for strikes against St. Mary's. You have to get ahead early. You have to make them guess. You can't make them, you know, dig in and we've talked about it so many times on the show. You can't allow them to dig in and just take balls and walk and squeeze you to death and you know, 65 pitches after three, like that type of stuff. You can't have that. You got to pound the zone. You have to pitch backwards. You have to be comfortable with it. And he did. And, I, you know, he sh- probably should have won the game. Uh, Kieran Cahey was fantastic. On the other side, I-, I thought Jason Oliver was good, obviously, out of the bullpen and the closer role. Everybody played good defense. I I think that you can point to the, um, the fall down play as maybe the play of the game uh, in the sixth inning or whatever in – North had runners at the corners, and they ex- they try and execute the fall down play, which they'd done with success leading up to that. And and you and I were sitting right there with Tyler Hill, who called it. He said, "Here comes the fall down play," and then there it was. Um, and then you guys you watched know, like, the Norseman all year. Yeah, and like credit to Marys then, because like that's a really hard that's a really hard play to get the lead runner out on. Like you have to be really good. And St. Marys is really good. They answered the bell there. They took the shot and, and gave it back, and, and that's a. Uh, a credit to them, and, and obviously Ryan McKay involved there, and, and Jason Oliver starting it, and um, you know Crichton at third base. I understand that there was a lot of people involved there, but it was, dude. I can't say enough about the game. Like hell of a game. Uh, there was no give in either side when it came to at bats. I thought the at bats were grinded out well. The pitching obviously was masterful. Pretty much played good defense. There was like one bad play on each side, and they both happened to be overthrown pickoff moves. Um, I'm a believer that the pickoff move is overused. I think you can hold runners successfully without the risk of putting the ball in play. Uh, but anyways, it's a different story. Um, but yeah, man, I, I mean, like, what did I miss? Like, what what an incredible game. Like, what an incredible game. Yeah, you couldn't have written that game any different, and we will certainly get to the other three games from the finals on Saturday. We got a lot of time to talk about it, but we had to start off with Division One because Gross Point North and, and Orchard Lake St. Mary's put on a show. I mean, that was just masterful. Uh, on both sides, there were there were good things from both sides, and there were bad things from both sides, um, but minimized from St. Mary's part and enough for them to win. And that team's so used to barreling up the ball regularly that when they get in a position where they're not doing that and they have to adjust, uh, it was unusual because, you know, working with the prep this season, I've called a lot of their games, 12 different games. I think 10 of them were Orchard Lake games. So, you know, in watching that team, it was the first time I really saw them not be able to barrel it when they when they were having those really close games like against CC well I should say this actually Alfredo Velasquez did a pretty good job of not letting the barrel up balls either when they when they won that game two to one in the Catholic League final so um, aside from him who also happens to be a lefty uh, the only time I saw them not necessarily score at a higher pace or, or barrel up balls regularly was CC but they hit up a lot of balls hard that day at Comerica but they're playing at Comerica and they weren't they were playing them deep at Comerica and it was working out well for CC and in credit to them for playing knowing that and playing it the way they played it but Brennan Hill struck out the side in the bottom of the sixth with a four five six up for St. Mary's that would be a two three four three four five at any other school in the country probably so or maybe not in the country but most definitely in the state so with that being said I mean that that says enough about the game like like the, the, the punches back and forth from both sides were coming from the first inning to the last inning like Every time you thought one team was going to take control of the game, or maybe not take control, but like punch back and get that score, like it just never happened. Because the only run, if you don't know, like the only run that scored was in the first inning. So every inning after that was just a pitcher dominating or 
the offense scratching and getting really close, but leaving a runner on second or leaving a runner on third or leaving two on. And the turning point, you're, Brian, you're right, the turning point was certainly the fall-down play. And here's the thing. When people hear about the fall-down play, they kind of automatically, I guess in baseball, I, I say more more often than not, they're automatically like, okay, what are we doing? Like, that's that's old. Like, we're, we're kind of removed from that now. These guys can make that play. Well, North had ran that play successfully, like, numerous times. They did it against Gross Point South, and South is one of the most well-coached teams in the state, year in and year out. I mean, they've had the same head coach 35 years, and, you know, Dan Griesbaum, or however many years it is, I'm probably wrong on that. But to run it against St. Mary's, given their talent, a risk, but what's gotten you there has gotten you there. So I understand like, li- like staying by what's worked for you. Now in that moment, we all kind of looked at each other. We're like, don't know if I would have called that there. Like, I, I don't know if I'm testing St. Mary's to have poise and make a play like that. Um, in a game where you really haven't had many base runners get into scoring position, but with first and third and one out to call that it's worked as much as you have. You're sticking to your identity. So I, I understand it. Um, but didn't work and Ryan McKay made a, heck of, made a heck of a play and all like you said all those guys contributed and that really flipped the game on its head and then when the sixth inning came and it was Irish Grimmer McKay I thought for sure like you know here comes St. Mary's and then Brennan Hill just for six straight innings really gave St. Mary's everything he had and more and uh, put on a show and then in the seventh Jason Oliver who's been the most I don't even know how to say it like the most no doubt closer I've seen like he's he's a he's a closer for St. Mary's. It's not like he comes in and pitches in certain innings and he just happens to be closing. Like he closed for them the entire postseason, even in games where they didn't necessarily need a closer. You could tell Petrie was putting him out there just to put him in the role of being the closer, so that if there was any adversity, he was prepared for it long term. And man, he didn't face much adversity this postseason as the closer, but all those experiences certainly paid off because he had to have some poise with runners on first and second and two outs and. Drew Hill, the best hitter for North all season and last season, comes up and, uh, like you said, hits a ball to, to Grimmer that he makes a hell of a play on, and they win it, and they make history. And that's it for Division One, uh, where St. Mary's is victorious, 1-0, 44-0. Does this cement them as the best team of all time? I think so. Brian, I think you'll agree. But if you want to offer your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think there's – I, willing to uh, consider – alternate ideas but I don't think there are any you know like I'm not I'm not pretending to be the Michigan high school baseball historian you know we've talked about this a fair bit on the show over the last couple years like who's the best team of all time like blah 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 blah. I don't know if there's ever been there definitely hasn't been a 44 and 0 team they just set the record for wins in the season and you can't play more than 44 at last check so they want them all Uh, and they did it in D1 like they stepped up again this year and, and did it in D1 so, yeah, I don't think that there's even an argument to be made at this point who the best team is of all time. That, that's one of the best high school teams, like, in history, period, any sport in the country. Um, but anyways, moving on to D2. <laughs> you're not wrong. Um, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, but I guess, I guess, like, before we go on to D2, just, like, one last thing. I know we spit and spat about Orchard Lake quite a bit on this show, but, like, you said it best. Like, that's one of the best teams in the history of high school sports in the country, regardless of sport. And like, I think it's completely fair for us to, to ramble on about it a bit because we kind of just witnessed history and, you know, it's over now. And, uh, that's something I think will, that's a team you'll talk about, you know, 20 years from now, they'll talk about that team the same way people nowadays talk about the old CC teams and, and, um, a lot of the other teams. So I I think it's completely fair. And, uh, those guys worked their tails off and congratulations to them and congratulations to coach Petrie and, We'll move on from there. Uh, Brian, take us into D2. Yeah, obviously Forest Hills Eastern won D2. Congratulations to them. It was a great year for the Forest Hills community at large. Obviously, uh, Northern was in the, the state uh, state semis, the Final Four in D1. Um, yeah, Forest Hills Eastern took down Grand Rapids Christian 3 to nothing. They beat Goodrich and Noah Keller on the mound uh, in the first or in the, in the Final Four round. Obviously, a, a, a task in and of itself there. Uh, didn't give up a run, clearly, in the Final Four. They won 6 nothing and then 3 nothing. So the pitching was dominant. Um, they're a team that has a fair number of underclassmen on it, too. I, I think they're setting themselves up for, for something of a continued success moving forward into next year. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit more more into the show. We'll talk about some, some thoughts for next year. Forest Hills Eastern certainly uh, deserves favoritism thinking about D2 next year. But yeah, man, I, I mean, 
pretty dominant in terms of pitching. Got just enough offense. Beat some beat some really good teams. Obviously, uh, I think Goodrich was your pick to win D two, and, and uh, Grand Rapids Christian was mine. So they took down both of our picks. Um, had a hell of a year. We had them ranked pretty highly once we got into April, and they were at twenty and zero at one point or whatever it was. But uh, but yeah, man, a hell of a year for them. Yeah, there's no doubt, and D two was the one that we really said was going to be the most up in the air and we didn't really know which way to go with it and it could have went anyway and and yada 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 but um the way that it all worked out and and how that all those games I thought were quality games and so I think that was the the one thing we got out of this year's tournament especially in division two was a lot of good games um and pitching performances power pitching performances Noah Keller Kyle Remington um and help me with the name for Eastern help me with the name (laughs) I can't think of it off the top of my head you put me on you the spot, that, the I spot that I don't have. Okay. Well, either way, Forrest, we'll, we'll, I'll get it in the next break, and we'll be sure to mention them. We won't neglect them, I promise. It's just not a, it's not rolling off the tongue right now. But either way, a lot of good pitching performances uh, in Division Two. Uh, and so with that being said, I mean, shoot. Well, we got to get into uh, to D3 here in a moment, but I don't want to overshadow – D1 over D2, because I feel like we went on a lot a bit about D1 over them. But how about the city of Forest Hills, though? I mean, you talk about how they had two teams get to the finals in two different um, divisions, Forest Hills Northern, Forest Hills Eastern. Uh, so I just – are they outdoing Portage? Like, are, do we finally have a, school, have, <laughs> have a community that's, like, outdoing Portage Northern and Central? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we expected – Central to be down a little bit this year, considering what they lost in the senior class of 2021 from last year's state finalist. Um, kind of expected them to have a down year, but that's not to say that they're not already back on the upswing. I think Portage Northern was pretty good this year. They're still kind of coming together with some young players. That obviously, their dude, Ty Tomlinson, who is an All-Stater, is just a sophomore, so he's still coming on as a player, uh, going to continue getting better and, and bright days ahead I think for the uh, the city of Portage in general when it comes to baseball but just to, just so happened to be you know not the year that either of the teams were there 2019 Portage Northern won and 2021 Portage Central was in the in the final so like obviously a pretty good run there for both of them but we'll see I would expect them to be good next year like that area just kind of restocks itself um, but as you continue to look for the name you're looking for oh, I got D2, it I'm gonna oh well please please feel free Oh, I got it. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right, so Evan Parks had a complete game, one hitter in the championship against Grand Rapids Christian. So uh, shout-out to Evan Parks, one of the best performances uh, in the postseason period, and he's a senior. Uh, so fantastic way to end your career, I would say. It doesn't really get much better than that, but uh, that's the one I was looking for. Um, and their catcher had a really good tournament too. Uh, da, 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 Leo Hearn. Sorry, I was looking for that. So, Forest Hills Eastern guys, apologize. I don't know your names off the top of my tongue, just uh, being from a different area of the state. But shout out to you guys. Hell of a run. Yeah. Um, anyways, moving into D3. Obviously, Buchanan won this one. We've talked about this uh, throughout the course of the season. We were Team Buck. Uh, we thought that they were really good. Thought that they matched up really well with Edison. That was a, a matchup we were looking forward to. It was a matchup we wanted. It's a matchup we got. Um, Edison, I think, had him loaded up in, in the seventh inning, and, and Buchanan was able to close the door. Three to one game. Buchanan wins. Uh, they took down Standish Sterling in the semifinal. Uh, obviously, Detroit Edison beat Powamo Westphalia three to two to get to the final. But Brandon, this is a game we talked about, man. This is what we wanted to see. We wanted to see Buchanan and Edison. We we thought that they matched up really well with each other. We didn't think that there was one glaring weakness that the other one could exploit or, or whatever we said last week. We thought it was two pretty evenly matched teams. We really loved the run that Edison was on. Obviously, they had the upset of the postseason, taking down Liggett um, it, way back in the in the district semifinal. Is, again, as weird as that is to say. Uh, but then had a, had a pretty easy path, won a bunch of close games, won some blowouts, got to the final, just couldn't di- didn't quite have enough. Buchanan was too much. Uh, Obviously, we're going to give out some awards later on, but uh, Matthew Hoover from Buchanan was obviously really good on the mound. Um, pricing, we, we all saw that the play he made it short and continues to find his way on base, and, and he's a junior. He'll be back next year to, to lead the charge. But congratulations to Buchanan. Uh, not enough good things to say about uh, 
that team, those players, that community out there in West Michigan and Southwest Michigan. Um, congrats to the Bucks, man. Like, that was awesome. It was a hell of a run. Yeah, that's a – I don't want to say we have any, like, CWB favorites, but Buchanan's definitely one of those schools where we've talked about them a couple of times and we've brought up the story a couple of times. We didn't know really what Buchanan was until our DMs were flooded with, hey, pay attention to this team. They are good. Uh, and we got on the train last year, and obviously Buchanan had a great year. But to win it this year feels like a culmination. So most definitely congratulations to that community that, that was very passionate about uh, this team in particular, and it's good to see them get the prize. However, you know, would have also been awesome to see a Detroit team win for the first time in a few decades. Uh, they go down 3-1. to one. Edison goes down 3-1 to one to Buchanan. Uh but two are three awesome games uh, in the semi and state final in D3 with Edison beating Westphalia three to two and then Buchanan going eight innings with uh, Standish, but still beating him six to one, but all the same going eight innings and in doing so. Um, so three great games that we got to see there again, the baseball was quality. I mean, I said it after the D1 final, but I'll say it again now speaking. And again, we'll, when we get to the D4, it's going to be that, that final was awesome too. So, um, I'll say it now, though, just to preface, like, this is why you watch Michigan high school baseball. Like, the semifinal and the state finals were awesome. Like, that's exactly uh, why you watch it. And I think that last year it was pretty obvious that Orchard Lake overmatched the opponent and how they won and won comfortably, whereas this year I feel like they got a little bit more on an even playing field, not completely but close and that's why we got such a good game there and then edison and buchanan are so well matched up we talked about how d2 was a complete toss-up d4 was similar so i thought we had four divisions obviously d1 more predictable than the rest but four divisions that had games that we knew were going to be good and we were hoping were going to be good and boy did they deliver i mean that was that was great so we're going to d4 now we'll move there um oh boy Actually, no, we will not go into D4. We will let Brian take us into D4. How could I forget? How could I forget? Uh, well, guys, again, I want to preface before the show comes out, or I guess you're listening to it, so I'm going to preface, or middly preface, that uh, I am editing the show again this week. So I, can, I don't know if I can pull off an audio drop quite like Super Producer James can, um, but if if there were a, a sound effect right now, it would sound like a marching band and some horns and like a whole thing. Because, Brian, go ahead. Who won D4? That would be the fighting pioneers of River of Riverview Gabriel Richard High School. Woo! Um, yeah, man. I, I mean, obviously, congrats to my alma mater there. Uh, they've won a couple state titles now in the past several years. They won D3 in 2018. Um what were they? They had they've had a run, man. Like since Coach Major took over there in 2014 or whatever, they've gone back to you know being down at Comerica Park most years for Catholic League semi stuff, and uh, they won it in 2018. They or rather they won the state in 2018. They've won the state in 2022. They've won a bunch of regionals in his time. It's it's the the best GR baseball's ever been. A, a program that's had a pretty damn good history of baseball uh, dating back to the 90s. But uh, so, congrats to them. Really proud, proud alum, et cetera, et cetera. They had to beat a hell of a Beale City team to de- to do it. Uh, was standing right there watching at Beale City, made it as interesting as humanly possible. Um, got a hard hit ball, just happened to be right at the shortstop. A double play to end it. But man, it congratulations to both teams. I thought that was you know like the, those players on both teams there are not like you know you think D four, you think like all right, well here's just the best of, of small schools, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's true, but these were these were damn good players, man. Like, there's a bunch of dudes on that field from both teams who are going to play college baseball, and, and I don't know how long ago you could say that out of D4 schools. Like, that doesn't happen very often. So that's cool as hell to see. And I, I think that, you know, the, the finalists too, Whitmore Lake and, and Rudyard both have college players on them and, and other programs that didn't even make it this far, Shrine and Cardinal Mooney and so on and so forth, and Hackett. You know, like those schools have college caliber players on them, and that's that's important to note uh, when we talk about how good Michigan baseball is getting. Is that the depth goes all the way to D four as well? Um, but yeah, man, I I mean, Gr just uh, they'd gotten by with offense to date. Like they they'd won a bunch of games where they scored a ton of runs. I think they were it was like sixty three to six leading into the state finals. How they'd outscored everybody uh, leading up to it, and then. Had to win a 4-3 game. 
Um, it was a, a really close game the whole way. I know GR got a really important insurance run uh, in the top of the seventh or whatever it was um, to make it 4-2. Beale City pushed back. Just a really good game on both sides. I, I think that one could have went either way, but uh, I'd be lying to you. If I said I wasn't happy, this is the way it came out. Go Pioneers. <laughs> At least you're honest. I think everyone appreciates that. But shout out Down River, right? Shout out Down River. We'll get we'll mention Down River again. Again to Coach Jimmy C, our best reviewer of all time, who said that we are a Down River Down River Gross Point and Orchard Lake Love Fest, apparently. Um so I'll shout out Down River again. Until we get to the award cat. Oh, you're gonna love I got it. Got something for Jimmy. Oh, you're gonna love it, Jimbo. Uh so so yeah, Riverview GR wins. Uh they they won the last one was twenty eighteen, right? It was the last one, so and they won that one in D three. Um, so their first year in D4, they win it in a, a regular season where they finished under 500, if I'm not wrong, right? Regular season, they were under 500. I think, I think they were exactly 500. I think they were like 12 and 12. Yeah. Uh, so, again, you know, a team that doesn't have that great of a regular season goes in the playoffs. And, and I understand GR plays a tougher schedule than the one they're playing in the, the bulk of a D4 postseason run. Uh, however... It's just another example that it doesn't take some – I mean, you think about Gross Point North. They didn't have some undeniable regular season, but they were right there at the end too. So uh, another good example of that, Edison, another one too. So um, good to see GR win it, obviously for the for the reasons um, of Downriver, uh, but also in the in the effect that we have another really competitive D4 team. Uh, and so it's, it's making the divisions just sweeter and sweeter to watch. And you can begin to see how widespread this talent is within Michigan baseball and that it's not just like a top heavy uh the kids who go to the facilities when they're young type of deal it's it's really widespread and in so many different communities so it's good to see for Riverview GR who similar to Orchard Lake kind of had a breeze going through D4 even in the semi against a uh, friend of the show Billy Mitchell Rudyard who, who made a fantastic run um but get put get they got pushed in the final not like a one nothing game before three so they got pushed in the final uh, for the first time throughout that postseason um, but were able to overcome it and inevitably win the state championship. So that concludes all divisions one through four uh, and how those finals all shook out at East Lance, in East Lansing. Um, and with that being said. Brandon, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick before we jump into awards. This is something I think that most of the people listening to the show are interested in hearing. Update us on the Michigan baseball coaching search. Oh, breaker of news. Um, all right. So, <laughs> so Michigan lost their head coach, Eric Backage. He went to Clemson, if you don't know that. Uh, and Michigan, or Michigan wanted Chris Fetter. He's not going to go to Michigan. Uh, Michigan wanted Jim Penders. He's not going to go to Michigan. Uh, that's the UConn head coach. So now their candidate list, short list, whatever you want to call it, is pretty much just stuck with Matthew Burdar. And I shouldn't say stuck, but it's kind of just left to Matthew Burdar. Michael, did I say Matthew? Sorry. I've said a bunch of high school names, bunch of high school names throughout this show. I've got a, a lot of Chads and Brads. I can't really single them out right now. So, uh, Burdar is a hitting coach for the Padres. He's 28. What he's doing is pretty um, unheard of. He's actually the second youngest assistant in the MLB, though, so he's not the most unheard of thing. But regardless, what he's doing is pretty remarkable. Uh, so it's no, there's no denying the fact that he's gotten to the point where he's at for doing great things and being as intelligent as he is. Um, but clearly hiring a 28-year-old hitting coach with no head coaching experience is a big risk. So you'd have to think that they're not just going to um, go after Burdar, who's, who's been on their shortlist. So I'm imagining their shortlist will expand. And some options that we've floated um, just by, you know, hunches and, and, you know, what makes sense would be like Wright State's head coach and Maryland's head coach and um, – you know, I, obviously, every, I was going to say, obviously, everyone's brought up Central Michigan's head coach, Jordan Bischel, and, uh, you know, he, he's another one. So the short list kind of grows, and I'm not going to lie, like, as as it stands right now, it's not a good situation for Michigan. It's gone on too long. They haven't really closed in on anyone. They missed out on their top two candidates. Uh, the athletic director hasn't talked to the current roster. Um, they lost five kids to the transfer portal of those five three are starters uh it's not good and it's actually very bad uh but we will see it. there's still an opportunity to kind of revive this situation and and make it a positive by hiring a coach who is going to nobody's going to come in here and like rectify what's happened like you, you can't get those transfers i mean you, you can't get those transfers back and there's going to be recruits who go, and that's just kind of how it is. And he's not going to be able to come in here and do a miracle work. But if he can come in here and kind of minimize the losses that have happened and establish his own 
identity and make this program nationally relevant like it was with EB, then there is a way to um, kind of turn this thing around. But right now, not great. The The coaching search is a bit wide open, and you never want a coaching search to be wide open. You, you, you want to zero in on someone and get them, not zero in on someone and lose them and then do it again. <laughs> the And it's it, it's tough to to expect a coach to come in and like keep the current roster in the age of the transfer portal. More importantly, in my mind, is doing your best to keep the classes together that you can. And like, we're getting close to the edge here with some of these 22s. Like, they're two months from going to campus. They're going to make up their mind. I'm sure uh, Coach Backage at, at Clemson is interested, at, at some of them at least. You know, I'm, I think Greg Pace is probably going to end up playing pro ball. I just think he's going to be dra- be drafted too highly to go to school. But that's just a personal opinion. But it, Jaron Purify already decommitted from Michigan. We don't know what he's going to do. He's going to have a big summer on the circuit where everybody's going to see him. So I'm sure he'll have whoever he wants to be interested in him. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's you gotta gotta find a way to keep that uh, that premier in state talent that we've been talking about on the show for two years now. Like Michigan baseball is really damn good. Uh, Got to find a way to keep as many of those guys that you have committed to the university as you can. Um, but with that being said, Brandon, let's jump into these awards, shall we? Absolutely. Uh, we'll take it over there. This is our first year doing this, uh, but I think it's a good thing. I mean, I know that there's other awards out there, and uh, I get it. Like, we're not trying to, like, do anything but give out our awards. I don't really know. I was going to give a little spiel on why we're doing this, but I think I'm just going to be like, hey, here's awards. Because what do we have to explain? I don't know. At this point, this is our brand. This is what we do. So we'll start at the top, and we will go. Well, do we? Let's see. No, let's start with players. So we'll start with pitcher of the year. And basically, what we're doing for pitcher of the year and for player of the year is we are picking. We we picked one per division, and so all in total, there are eight winners between pitchers and players of the year for each. Hope that explains it. We'll start with D four, where the pitcher of the year is Brian. I'll let you take this one. Uh, Connor Silka from Riverview Gabriel Richard. Uh, obviously, GR won the state championship. There's a. This is not a uh, like the MLB voting for MVP. Like the voting did not stop at the end of the regular season. Playoffs are absolutely included in this. Uh, and guys who you know stepped up big as in in playoff spots earned higher weight when we were considering these. But Connor Silka from Riverview GR. Uh, he and Ashton Nowak were a hell of a one-two punch in that rotation along with Tyler Morehouse in there, but Silka was the guy who was most consistent for them throughout the course of the season. He was huge in the playoffs. Uh, he got the semifinal win over Rudyard. Uh, he was also impressive with the bat, but we're talking pitcher of the year, of course. But yes, Connor Silka, Riverview Gabriel Richard, pitcher of the year in D4. All right, we'll go to D3. We've already mentioned this guy, but we'll go back to the community that is Buchanan. And Matthew Hoover is going to be your D3 pitcher of the year. Hoover obviously had a terrific outing in the uh, state finals and had a great year for Buchanan uh, and was their ace for the Bucks throughout the year and pitched his tail off when it mattered most. Uh, you know, Brian mentioned how important it is in the postseason. Um, but in a, in a game where Buchanan really didn't have the run production they've had throughout the year, he stepped up and eventually won them the ring. Yep, got to give credit there. He's going to play ball at Western Michigan. Good get for them. He was fantastic. Um, our D2 pitcher of the year, uh, Noah Keller from Goodrich. Uh, obviously, Keller was on the show with us earlier this season. He was the pitcher who took the loss in their state semi. He got the start and, and took the loss. Uh, his defense didn't do a whole lot behind him, and, and obviously they didn't score much that game either, considering the zero. Uh, but either way, Noah Keller was fantastic throughout the course of the year. I think he gave up like two runs in the regular season or something absurd. Uh, left-handed arm, who was a strikeout machine, um, had to have been close to the state lead in the strikeouts. If not the state leader, I'll have to look that up. Uh, but either way, Noah Keller, good rich in a Final Four appearance. He is our D2 pitcher of the year. And in D1, I think you can all take a wild guess where we're going to go with this one. Uh Orchard Lakes, Brock Porter is the pitcher of the year in D1. Did not lose a game. How many no-hitters? Five, including the state semi. Five no-hitters, including the state semifinals. All right. Uh, I mean, it speaks for itself. We all know who Brock is, but I I will certainly be happy to tell you a little bit more about him. Uh, You know, perennial year in and year out was, if not the best pitcher, one of the best pitchers in the state. Uh, from his sophomore year until his senior year. And then this year was just 
dominant in a way that we really haven't seen uh, much of before in Michigan. And the scary part about what Porter does in the mound is that although he has all of that velo that you hear about, you know, up to 196, 97 sitting and yada, 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 all that, his best pitch is his changeup. And to have your secondary be as good as his secondaries are between that and I think it's a slider, if, if I'm not mistaken, um, to those, to have your secondaries be equally as good as your fastball, if not better, is um, absurd. And that's exactly why he is going to be a, a first-round pick in the MLB draft. And this choice was pretty clear and unequivocal to take Porter as the D1 pitcher of the year, who also won uh, Mr. Baseball and I think the Detroit Athletic Club athlete, male athlete of the year. So he's going to have to um, – well, he's going to go pro. doesn't matter. I was going to say, if he went to Clemson – He's going to have to make some room in his dorm for all the hardware, but uh, I don't know about all that. So, Gatorade Player of the Year, both in state and nationally, right. too. Rack, racking up the awards. Yeah, they're just everywhere. So uh, with, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you take. I, yeah, I was just gonna, I was gonna take us on. We're gonna go to Player of the Year now. Uh, once again, we did one for each division, and for Player of the Year, we two way came into play here a lot. Uh, there were some guys. You'll see most of these guys on this list are, are two-way guys. That's where uh, the player of the year came into it. In, in high school baseball, um, in the age of POs, it's still not as prevalent as it is uh, in, in the college game or in the pro game, obviously. So so we went with guys who impacted the game in the most ways, most consistently, most impactfully, et cetera, et cetera, for player of the year. So our D1 player of the year is David Lally from Grand Blank. Uh, he's obviously primarily a pitcher. Uh, he's going to Notre Dame to pitch. He was at the MLB Draft Combine as a pitcher. Uh, there are no illusions of him being a two-way guy in professional baseball. However, when he wasn't one of the best pitchers in the state, he played shortstop every day and hit in the middle of the order and was that team's best hitter, that, that Grand Blank team. Um, obviously a, a bit of an early loss for them this season, disappointingly, but the D1 state champions last year with Lally leading the way in both ways as well. Um, yeah, so Lally, D1 player of the year because of the two-way exploits. Yeah, he is another kid that's been pretty undeniable in what he's done. And I think if Grand Blake were to have made a run uh, to the final this year again, he would have made a case for, you know, like an MVP type of deal um, in the postseason or just in general because of how much he meant to Grand Blake. Because, and that's not to discredit their talent. I think they have a lot of talent on that team, no doubt. But Lally was really like an X factor for them. And I think without him, I don't know how much they, how far, how far they would have went even last year. Um, granted, that team is surrounded by guys who are good baseball players, there's no doubt, but Lally kind of a, an anomaly. Um, one of those, one of one of few, you know, like there's only five, what would you say, Porter, him, and Pace? There might be a couple yeah. more guys like yeah. of that stat, of that level. Maybe Ike, I, I, to have two of them on the same team says enough. But um, but but anyway, uh, we'll move on to, well, again, Lally, fantastic year. He was at the MLB Combine, um, so wishing him the best because you know that's the last time we'll see him in Michigan high school baseball. Another one of those kids where you'll be he'll be talked about for a long time. Porter the same way, Irish Schubert, plenty more, and we'll talk more about him as we go on. Uh, but moving to D two, we are actually going to stay away from the senior class with this one. We're going to go with a junior, and that is the Minnesota commit two way Kyle Remington uh, out of Grand Rapids Christian who. Pitched in the semifinal in the D2 semifinal for Christian and got them to the championship game where they came up short. But another year for Remington where he was just undeniable and had a, a fantastic season on the west side where he's risen as one of the best players uh, from that area, if not the best, um, going into next year especially. And uh, he's a guy who's a left-handed hitter at the plate and is an outfielder with a really strong arm. Uh, but he's a righty thrower and he throws the ball heavy with a kind of like a really nicely hidden delivery that's kind of hard to pick up out of the hand it makes him more difficult to hit against because it comes out so quick and you know expected to come out as come out as it comes out uh secondary is really good the pitch design is great excellent iq uh just a great kid and uh as far as his play goes i mean at the plate he pounded the ball all year uh, had great pitching performances and he had uh one of the best pitching performances of the state championships in the semis and the finals at michigan state when he threw in that semifinal game so he gets our player of the year in D2, which, again, similar to D2's picking and predicting D2 as a whole, uh, choosing a player of the year was equally as difficult because there are so many players in that division that are good and deserving of that award, and none that really like stood out as the clearest day choice, but Remington uh, is going to be the pick in D2. 
moving on to D3, the player of the year is Greg Pace uh, from Detroit Edison. I think this one was pretty slam dunk as we saw it. Uh, obviously, Edison went on an incredible run. They came at one swing of the bat, shy maybe, uh, of winning the state championship. He was Superman down the stretch for them. Felt like he was homering in every game. He's also one of their top arms, uh, a guy who got the ball in the closest games and the biggest games and delivered time and time again. I think he's going to be a high draft pick coming up next month. Uh, I think we'll be talking about him as a professional baseball player pretty soon. Uh, a Michigan commit otherwise, either way, uh, we know about Greg Pace, man. He, he really upped his game this year. He's a guy who for years and years and years showed really explosive tools but was always kind of still coming along when it came to to the finer points of having a hit tool and the finer points of approach. And this year it really exploded for him in that way. Uh, the swing was more consistent. The bat to ball was way more consistent. The stats were made way more consistent as, as a result. He showed off that power more. Um, the arm strength plays on the mound like we talked about. Yeah, man, Greg Pace, D3 player of the year for us. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we'll see what happens with him. I know, like you said, you like him in the draft. That'd be awesome to see another out of Detroit Edison selected. And while we're on that topic, before we move on to D4, Werner Blakely, Detroit Edison alum, is lighting up. Uh, I think he's in single A, right? Like like affiliate, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, rookie ball, something like that. A-ball. Anyway, he's yep. able. Yeah, so he's he's lighting it up. Uh, I don't know what the average is, but he just hit a 400, well, an estimated 460 foot home run uh, a few days ago. So. Good for him and good to see. They might have another one in pace coming up in July for the next draft. And we'll move on to D4, where we are going to go with Cardinal Mooney center fielder Trent Rice uh, as our selection for player of the year there. Uh, Trent was just a, a phenomenal player again for Mooney, and he does so many things in so many different ways because defensively he is so shut down because of how much his foot speed attributes to him covering a lot of ground and has the range that he has, but it's instincts that really gives him the jumps that he gets. Then on top of that, he throws the ball really well. Uh, committed to Oakland, I think Coach Banfield did a phenomenal job in picking him up. The, the tools he has are pretty um, off the charts. Just defense, We mentioned defensively, but offensively, you know, the foot speed's going to give him an automatic edge, but on top of that, he's a, he's a good bat-to-ball hitter, and he goes gap-to-gap, and he's a perfect leadoff, and, and he'll be a leadoff, I think, at OU uh, soon enough. And then, of course, you talk about it on the base path. As soon as he gets to first base, if he's at first base, if he's not already at second, he's going to get there pretty quickly. So the impact that he makes for, for Mooney, he did it last year. He did it again this year. He's a junior, so he'll do it again next year. I think he's their most important player, and it gives them a chance to win uh, in any game in D4. Uh, that'll do it for the players of the year. Uh, we have some some greater awards to hand out. Um, let's start with team of the year here, uh, Brando, and then you take coach of the year, if that makes sense. Um, so team of the year, I, I mean, there were a lot of candidates, but I, St. Mary's went 44-0. So St. Mary's is the team of the year. And as far as I'm aware, they're probably the team of the generation. Um, don't need to you know, revisit every stat, but 44-0, they averaged like 10 runs a game and gave up like one run a game. Um, back-to-back shutouts in the in the final four. Uh, double-digit guys committed to play D1 baseball with more coming. Um, the pipeline is stocked there, as we know. Uh, they are on a 67-game winning streak or something like that, 66 games maybe. They haven't lost in Catholic League play since 2019. Um this group of seniors was like 120, 10, and 2 or something like that over their three years. Dominant, just purely dominant. They took everybody's best shot and gave it right back to them. Um, yeah, undisputed in my opinion. So team of the year, St. Mary's, congrats to the Eaglets. Yeah, I think you said it best. I mean, it was undisputed. They um, they did what they did. And you can't sit here and deny what it was, and there's there's really nothing to point to. There's a zero in the loss column. That says everything it needs to say. So for Team of the Year, Orchard Lake St. Mary's, uh, we'll move on to Coach of the Year. And going into the postseason, I don't think this award was one we were really zeroing in on. We were kind of going to let it manifest by who did what in the playoffs because I think that's where you make the biggest difference, obviously. Um, so... We didn't really have this one figured out, but you had to think it was probably going to be Matt Petrie from Orchard Lake St. Mary's, but um, we didn't, I don't know, it's, it's tough to flood the award show with St. Mary's. So we went with Kevin Shubnall of Gross Point North, who also won the MHSAA Division One Coach of the Year. And what he did was fantastic, and the story behind it is just, it's awesome. Uh, 
Girls Point North has to move on from their head coach. He's forced to resign or whatever it was. He's gone. And this is like February, I want to say. At the earliest, it was February. It might have been March. So it's like crunch time for, for Girls Point North, and, and they don't want to do a whole coaching search, so they just tab an interim at the time. I don't know if maybe it turned into full-time or whatever. At some point, it sure is now. Uh, but he was a football coach for Girls Point North who just happened to have some baseball background and, and took the, the interim job as the baseball head coach. Uh, and throughout the season, really, and throughout the offseason, really leaned on it on the players to kind of tell him, hey, what do, you, what, what do we need to, to develop? What do we need to get better? Like, I don't, I think he was totally, and I don't know this for, verbatim, but it, from what I heard about what was going on during the, during the winter, he was really like, whatever we need to do, get better so long as we can do it both by the rules and as long as our budget affords us to, like, we can do it and we will make it happen and we're going to do our best to make sure you guys, um, you know, come out the best come spring and spring comes and it's not the hottest season they've ever had right like they didn't have the best regular season but the playoffs come they see the draw they got which is hey we beat south and none of the games in front of us but between between south and the state championship none of those games none of those regions really overmatch us we're on an even playing field with all of them if not better so they knew that after they beat south and they went on that run and all the way to the state final and you know damn near did what they did as we as we mentioned earlier so I think Kevin Shubnell of Gross Point North did an admirable admirable job this year and, and what he was able to do in a one-year turnaround for a team um, like like North, who, yes, made it far last year to the regional final losing to Grand Blank. Uh, however, the expectations given the coaching change and you know the, the, what was going to happen with the roster and all that, uh, to do what he did and to take him as far as they did and to nearly do what he did, it was pretty uh, awesome and makes his choice as coach of the year in the end a little bit undeniable. So we'll move on to, what do you want, game of the year? Yeah, I got it. I'm actually going to pull an audible here at the last minute. Um, instead of instead of game of the year, we are going to say moment of the year. Uh, because I think that all of our games of the year categories, nominees, whatever, were really coming down to the one single moment of each game that made them unique. And so why don't we just do moment of the year? And with that, our, our cold weather bats moment of the year in 2022, uh, Keith Smith hitting a nuke, hitting a grand slam in the seventh inning, down three to go up on Liggett uh, for Edison in the Division Three district semifinal. That's our moment of the year. Um, Liggett, or pardon me, Edison down to their last out. It may have been their last strike, as I understand it. Um, Smith obviously up, took a huge swing. Goes yard, pull side, grand slam, takes the lead. Greg Pace slams the door in the seventh. Edison marches on in, in what was an incredible game and an incredible story like we talked about. Um, they went all the way to the state final, ran into Buchanan. Buchanan got the W. But that, for us, as far as, like, ways the group chat exploded and, like, ways that people were talking online and, like, the amount of the amount of stuff that we heard and the amount of people who cared about it, like the amount of people who were asking about it, it, that was the moment of the year as we saw it. Uh, and we'll, <laughs> what a damn moment it was, man! Yeah, that moment. I think you described it best with how the group chats were going crazy because I was in the middle of broadcasting. I think it was West Bloomfield versus Orchard Lake. Yeah, that makes sense. It was West Bloomfield versus Orchard Lake. So I was in the middle of broadcasting that game. And Chad Bush, who does the play-by-play, wanted me to basically find out some scores. And But I was like, well, I already know them all because the group chat's just blown up about them as it is. And I remember when uh, Edison won and we were in the middle of a of a game, right? And I couldn't say anything on the, on the show. So I kind of just dropped my phone and was, I think he was talking during the broadcast. And I just kind of was like jaw dropped for a second, just waiting for this inning to end. And as soon as it ended, I like put my headset down. And I was like, oh, "Look at lost." And I turned around. And I was like, "I just got look at. I just got look at." So, and at the time, I didn't even know how. At the time, I just knew they lost. I didn't know the score. I didn't know anything. Anything that yep. that happened. And then once you heard the story of how it actually happened, like, oh man, that's just makes it all the more in, in insane and, and awesome uh, for baseball. Just because of games like that and moments like that, or why people watch the sport and what what makes people who say it's boring sound silly. So. Um, that is our moment of the year, uh, Cinderella of the year. This one, I think, honestly, seems pretty easy. This was a unbelievable <laughs> playoff run by Chippewa Valley, who finished 
not dead last, but second to last in their division in the MAC, which is the quote-unquote second-tier division in the MAC. However, Gross Point North is in that division, and of course they went to the state final, so that says enough about that. Um, either way, they finished pretty low in there. They lost. I mean, they got beat up for the most part during the regular season by good teams. I think North mercyed them all three times, and uh, I think South did as well. And it's just one of those things where they just they just did not have a good year at all in the postseason. Below ten regular season wins, um, not good. But postseason came and they found some magic. First regional championship in program history. So congratulations to Chippewa Valley for capturing their first. Of course, how they won it was pretty awesome, too. They were playing Detroit Western, uh, and Detroit Western had a runner going home to tie the game in the seventh inning to tie it. I believe it was 2-1 to one was the final. So runner was rounding third, and they threw him out at home, and that was the game, and that was the third out, and that's how they ended up capturing the regional. Uh, ended up losing to – they ran into the Gross Point North and gave them a pretty decent game, but ended up losing to Gross Point North, I believe, 5 nothing, and ending their season. But a miraculous run and, and an awesome run to watch unfold, beating some teams that were excellent like Detroit Western uh, in the postseason this year. Which brings us to our final award, um, perhaps the award we're most proud of, um, perhaps – Perhaps the award that we put the most thought into, even. Um, this is our Mr. Downriver Award. As we've talked about on the show, we are unabashedly Downriver folks. And yes, in every episode, we're somehow going to talk about it. So that's just that's just the way it is. Uh, but anyways, so the, the criteria for Mr. Downriver were, was simple. Uh, and it was also complex. Um, you had to be on a team that is objectively within the city limits of or within the the area limits of downriver uh that doesn't mean you have to play in the downriver league as well as as you'll see but a downriver school um you had to make a pretty deep run in the state tournament none of this we had a good season but we lost in the district semis or whatever so that was a, a criteria as well you had to be um a senior we weren't giving this award out to underclass but this is going to be a senior award as we do it and uh, we thought that it was important that it's a multifaceted player, a guy who does a lot of little things well, uh, a lot of the big things. We think that it's important that this guy goes on to play college baseball. Um, all of these things were important to us. And we kept coming back to Grozeal's run as they kept on and, and winning games and, and moving through the, the state playoffs and had that incredible game against Divine Child. Um and so, Brandon, at, we went with Tyler Garza, the shortstop from Grozeal, in our inaugural Mr. Downriver Award. Uh, obviously, Grozeal's shortstop. He's headed to Barton, uh, which is a really good junior college in North Carolina, to play some juco ball. Obviously, we're pro-juco people here at Cold Weather Bats. Um, he, but he had a hell of a year hitting in the middle of that lineup, was the leader of that Grozeal team that made the, the run all the way to the Final Four. Uh, Brandon, I, there was a lot of good candidates here. Uh, we talked about a bunch of different guys. Uh, you know, Huron had good players, but they kind of had an early run, or early exit. Uh, Monroe doesn't quite count. That's not downriver, so on and so forth. There, there's Woodhaven players. There's Trenton players, etc. But, uh, but man, I, we kept coming back to Garza, and I feel good about the choice. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing that we're going to hear about this, the only flack we're going to get, uh, about this is that technically Grozeal is in the Huron League, but doesn't like matter. it or doesn't like it or not, like I said, like it or not, they are downriver. Uh, they have to accept that, and I wish they would join the league because that just makes too much sense to not be in our. I don't know. I just wish they would. I don't know the. It's not up to like certain people. I get there's way more that goes into it, but in a perfect world, I wish they were in the downriver league. So this moving isn't, on, this isn't the this isn't the Mister Downriver League award. It's just the Mister Downriver award. You know, like no, we, we could have given it to a kid from GR or whatever. You know, but no, I'm hey, with you. Hey, I, I that's hey, I'm you're not getting any you're not getting any of it for me. Trust me. I just know I just know there's going to be a text from somebody. His name might rhyme with Lad Salka. <laughs> about how Grozeal isn't in the Downriver League, so Mr. Downriver Award shouldn't go to them. But no, I'm sure he won't say anything. Uh, either way, I think Garza certainly is uh, deserving of it, and what a terrific job that team did this year and what Coach Garza, his father, has done uh, over at GI and, and made that program uh, into super competitive program uh, against any team and, and year in and year out and had some battles with Huron this year. Um, battle with Woodhaven. They they played a, a good season. Like a, they had played a 
tough regular season schedule and then of course the playoff run like we mentioned so uh, hats off to them and hats off to Ty who is going to do some great things I think at the next level and with that those are our awards for the year if you have any recommendations for any further awards or like a next year award thing and you want to hit our dms with them we've gotten some pretty good ideas out of dms over the past year and some change so we're totally open to hearing any recommendations because one of our many dm recommendations of course was paying attention to buchanan baseball and we're sure happy we did (laughs) uh so (laughs) if you got any of those go ahead and let us know if you won and you want to commemorate commemorate it in some form or fashion we are we are making graphics for all of these and if you're listening now and you haven't seen your post yet maybe uh then you'll be getting one um of course my guess is that mm, the kids aren't much of the podcast listeners as much as the adults are so I would imagine you've already seen your graphic. I think you check Instagram a bit more than you check your podcast app. So, um, all right. Well, that's it for awards. Um, so moving on, we're just going to kind of recap the season, talk a little bit about that, and preview next year. And I think that's probably where we'll start is, um, I, and this is a bit on the spot, but we'll start with D1. And I think what we should immediately do is talk about who's going to win it next year and if there's going to be a rematch because – Gross Point North returns a lot of its production, namely the Hill Brothers. Uh, we saw what Brennan did. Drew's their, you know, the biggest plug in their lineup and the best defensive player they have in the outfield. Uh, and they have to replace guys like Tedesco and McCauley and a couple of others. But um, they return Jordan Arsenal, who was their who was their ace this year. Uh, I know that Brennan had the memorable pitching performance in the postseason um, and had a fantastic year in numbers wise. But Jordan really got the ball in a lot of moments as a as a rising senior this uh, coming up in 2023 and they return him too so there's reason for north to return and then we know that orchard lake will have the expectation to return as three-time champs so um what do you think brian about those two teams i know that you know a lot about the returning production for st mary's and then the guy a lot about the guys who will replace them too yeah i mean i think st mary's is is probably going to be a little bit more human next year uh they lose this senior class that has like eight or nine guys by itself going off to play college ball, you know, the, the core four or whatever you want to call it, who, who played as freshmen in 2019, Porter, Schubert, Crichton, and Dresselhaus are gone. Ike Irish is gone. Um, you know, Kieran Kaw, he's gone. The guy who won the state championship game, uh, Higgins is gone. Skrupski's gone. Like all these, these key pieces. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the St. Mary's will still be really good. I would still put them as the favorite, um, but agreed with you on gross point North. I think that Brother Rice will continue to be really good. They bring back pretty much everybody. Uh, they only really had one or two seniors who played big roles for them this past year. Um, I would expect Catholic Central to be really, really good next year. I think that you saw it this year. It's coming. Uh, that was a very, very young team. They won a lot of close games. They went on a run. They they held St. Mary's to very, very close games a bunch of times. Uh, they beat Catholic or they beat Brother Rice, excuse me, in the playoffs. It's, I think it's their time is coming. Um, you know, those are all D1 schools. I, I would imagine that uh, there's any number of, of, of schools. Yeah, man, I think those are kind of the four right now off the top of my head. If I'm trying to think of any other teams that – because I was – I'm not going to lie to you. Those are the four teams I was going to bring up. Um, did you mention Rice? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I think what gives Rice an X factor is they might have the best pitcher. I I mean, Freo was really good. Like Freo wasn't used a whole lot in the bigger moments because they were, you know, Riker was trying to save him for the postseason and everything. But Freo might end up being one of the best pitchers in the state next year. Uh, I know that he's a two way and like he's known probably more for the bat in the outfield because the pitching kind of came for him last year. But there's a legitimate chance that he's like one of, if not the best pitcher in the state next year uh, from the senior class. Uh, so having him and then those kids that you see, like you look at Rice's roster this year and you look at it next year and you look at it from two years ago, it's like identical almost like those kids have played together for three years. I know that they've lost some some pitchers along the way, like Locker. And um, yeah, I know they're losing uh, what's his face this year, Clan. And so um, there's some things to replace, but like hardly anything like these kids have played together so much offensively pitching wise. You know, you can bring in guys and develop them and you can get by with pitching that's pitching to contact like when you have the defense that they're going to have next year with you think about it i mean cheeseman tribal um fredo and i mean it just goes on they've they've got a lot of good players coming back so i think rice is the the one to talk about um just as much as any other team but i think like you said with orchard lake i mean they're more of um what's the word i mean they're just kind of like re-gearing i i don't think they're going to be 44 no but i think that they're going to be 
pretty pretty dang close. So, uh, and CC, 100% agree. Uh, 100% agree on North as well. We've talked about North um, a lot. So everyone knows my opinions there. So uh, anyone else in D1, you know, of course, there's going to be a lot of good ones. Uh, as far as D2, D3, D4, we can't, we don't really have enough time today to go into like the whole depths of it. I just thought that was an interesting conversation to have before we wrapped up today. Um, but with all that and being said, are, man, and we are, and yeah, we are. and we are, this is going to be the last of the regular episodes as it were for the summer. Uh, we're not going to be coming to you weekly anymore. We've been talking about that. Uh, we're just, I'm about to head on the road a bunch. Brandon's going to be on the road a bunch. It's just going to be difficult. So we are planning on doing our, uh, you know, pulling the curtain back on the recruiting process episode. That's going to be sort of like a one-off special this summer. Uh, it might end, up, might end up being a long one too. We'll, we'll see, but we're planning on having a couple guests on to talk about it. Um, feel free to DM us questions. Like parents, if, if you have questions about the recruiting process, DM them to us. We'll be, you can be anonymous. Like we won't read your name on the show. Uh, we won't, you know, call your kid out on the show or anything like that. Just drop us a question. We'll talk about it on the show. We're going to do as best as we can to like, here's what, here's what it pretends to be and here's what it actually is uh, about as many things as possible when it comes to the recruiting process so um before we get too long-winded and saying goodbye just thank you to everybody for listening this year we've had a hell of a lot of fun uh what a season it was thank you for being along on the journey of cold weather bats we've we've really appreciated all the support appreciate all the listeners we've had a hell of a time doing it um brandon i mean take us out man dude it's been uh ridiculous ridiculously fun year uh that was awesome like start to finish so many games to remember uh an electric electric senior class that currently as it stands probably goes down as the best of all time but next year the 2023 class one that we've been talking about since they were freshmen as being one of the best classes we've seen uh they are going to give the 20 22 class a run for its money and then some uh to try and follow up what was a s- amazing year but we will see you guys Sometime this winter, this fall, we're going to give you some one-off episodes then. We'll start seeing you weekly sometime down the road. Uh, but for one last time for Season 2, for Ryan Zakowski, I'm Brandon Justice. Thank you for listening to Cold Weather Bats. We'll talk to you in Season 3.